ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय सो टुडे इज ट्यूजडे जनवरी And we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 5, Narada's Instructions on Srimad Bhagavatam for Vyasadeva, Text 9. Yatha dharmadaya sharta muni varya nukirtita Natata Vasudevasya Mahima Hi Anuvritta Vrnataha Yata Dharmadayas Charta Muni Varyanukirtita Natarta Vasudevasya Mahima Hi Anuvarnita Translation Yata as much as Dharma adhaya all four principles of religious behavior cha and artha purposes muni varya by yourself the great sage anukirtita repeatedly described na not tata in that way vasudevasya of the personality of godhead shri krishna mahima glories he certainly anuvarnita so constantly described translation and purport by his divine grace ac bhaktivedanta swami shrila prabhupad although great sage you have very broadly described the four principles beginning with religious performances you have not described the glories of the supreme personality vasudev purport The prompt diagnosis of Sri Narada is at once declared. The root cause of despondency of Vyasadeva was his deliberate avoidance of glorifying the Lord in his various editions of the Puranas. He is certainly as a matter of course given descriptions to the glories of the Lord Sri Krishna, but not as many as given to religiosity, economic development, sense gratification and salvation. These four items are by far inferior to engagement in devotional service of the Lord. Sri Vyasadeva as the authorized scholar knew very well this difference and still instead of giving more importance to the better type of engagement namely devotional service to the Lord he had more or less improperly used his valuable time and thus he was despondent. From this it is clearly indicated that no one can be pleased substantially without being engaged in the devotional service of the Lord. In the Bhagavad Gita this fact is clearly mentioned. After liberation which is the last item in the line of performing religiosity etc one is engaged in pure devotional service. This is called the stage of self-realization or the Brahma Bhuta stage. After attainment of this Brahma Bhuta stage one is satisfied but satisfaction is the beginning of transcendental bliss one should progress by attaining neutrality and equality in the relative world and passing this stage of equanimity one is fixed in the transcendental loving service of the lord this is the instruction of the personality of godhead in the bhagavad gita The conclusion is that in order to maintain the status quo of the Brahma Bhuta stage as also to increase the degree of transcendental realization Narada recommended to Vyasadeva that he Vyasadeva should now eagerly and repeatedly describe the path of devotional service this would cure him from gross despondency I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swa Padantikam When will Sri Rupa Goswami Prabhupada who was established with this material world 
the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha, kripasthindu bhyavacha, patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakti Vrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. So today we will review this concept of um, Vyasadeva's writings and um, this conversation he's having with Narada. We'll... Um, then go into a little further detail of the three steps um, that are described here by Srila Prabhupada to cure Vyasadeva's despondency as well as ours. Um, and these three steps are self-realization, equanimity, and transcendental devotional service. So this um, last few, I guess the last chapter in this chapter, we've been discussing how empty and despondent Vedavyas has felt after compiling all the Vedas because he didn't connect it to Krishna. So in this verse, Narada Muni is directly pointing out that this is the default, that this is the deficiency here, is you haven't connected this to Krishna, is what he says to um, Vyasadeva. He says, more focus was given to material wealth and happiness and not to glorifying the Lord. So this caused his despondency, and last week we discussed that despondent feeling that Vyasadeva has, and it's similar to depression that we feel now in, in this day and age. And we discussed that this depression is due to our lack of connection to Krishna. So just to review, despondency is a state of low spirits that's caused by a loss of hope or courage. It's a strong feeling of unhappiness caused by difficulties which you feel you cannot overcome. So the opposite of despondency is happiness, joy, bliss. And bliss is described as a state of complete happiness. So really when we are looking at how we are living our lives, it's not that, it's not just that we want to feel not depressed, right? That's that's one step, right? We want to feel not depressed. But the next step beyond that is to feel happy. So it's more than just not feeling depressed. It's actually feeling pleasure. And we have to ask, why is happiness important to us? You know, where is this desire for pleasure and happiness and bliss coming from? It's, it is that it's our eternal position. It's the, the eternal condition of the soul is that it's, transcendental, full of knowledge and bliss, and it's eternal. And that is who we are. That is our transcendental position. In the introduction to Bhagavad Gita, Srila Prabhupada writes, Krishna means highest pleasure, and it is confirmed that the Supreme Lord is the reservoir or storehouse of all pleasures. We are all hankering after pleasure. The living entities like the Lord are full of consciousness, and they are after happiness. The Lord is perpetually happy, and if the living entities associate with the Lord, cooperate with him, and take part in his association, then they also become happy. So we're hardwired to pursue happiness. If we are parts and parcels of Krishna, of God, that means, and Krishna means all pleasure, all attractive, he's full of bliss, then therefore we are also full of bliss. We're just smaller quantity than he is. He's vast and um, omnipotent, omniscient. You know, he's, he's not just eternal, but he's like everywhere. So we're, we're the same, but we're just tiny portions of that. We're part and parcel. So we are hardwired to, to look for pleasure, to pursue happiness, to feel good. 
So what are some of the things that we do to feel good? Right? We pursue material wealth and success. That's what we've taught happiness is, right? Big, fancy house, um, you know, getting married, having kids, having a nice flashy car, having great material things to fill the house. All these things we think we're going to give give us happiness, right? So when we pursue something, we gain it, and we may get some temporary happiness from it. Then it's like, now what? What's the next big thing I can go for? right? So then you keep this cycle of you get this little bit of happiness, it fades, and then you start looking for the next thing. And that um, pretty much is what so far Vedavyas has explained how to achieve that level of happiness, how to achieve that material level of success, right? How to how to be successful in religiosity and economic development, sense gratification and salvation. So, you know, we're we're we often think that you know if we get this we'll be happy. If we just have this we'll be happy, and we find that that that. It's like dangling that carrot in front of the horse, right, on the stick. And it's tied to his um, neck, but he'll never reach it because as far as he moves, the, the carrot moves as well. So that's how we are in our pursuit of material success. It's temporary. And happiness in the material world, like everything else in the material world, is affected by the three modes of material nature. So there are three types of happiness as well. In the Bhagavad Gita 18.36 through 18.38, Krishna says, Now please hear from me about the three kinds of happiness by which the conditioned soul enjoys and by which one sometimes comes to the end of all distress. That which in the beginning may be just like poison, but at the end is just like nectar. And which awakens one to self-realization is said to be happiness in the mode of goodness. So this is the type of happiness that we want to um, pursue, is this happiness in the mode of goodness, if we're looking to pursue happiness. And if we try to think of some um, examples of happiness in the mode of goodness, it's hard to think of something that's going to be like poison in the beginning, but nectar as we get more into it. But we can think of things in a more... Um, on a smaller scale, right? So if you're looking to get healthier, you know, at first it may take having to eat healthier foods like vegetables, um, whole grains. When we're used to eating processed grains like crackers and white rice, um, and we're not used to eating vegetables unless they've been doused in oil and salt and everything else that takes away all the nutrients. So when we first start eating in a way that's more nourishing to our body, it actually kind of tastes bad. Or our body can have some reaction. We call it detox. But after a while, our body, we get used to it, and we actually start enjoying the taste of you know, more simpler foods, more foods that are in the mode of goodness. And so you can see just by that example how um, something that tasted like poison at first can turn into nectar. Same thing when we try to control our mind. When we first... Sit down for meditation if you're just starting and you've never meditated before. I mean, you can sit down and one minute can feel like one hour because you're just like, oh my God, is this minute ever going to be over? Because your mind just wanders and it's going so many places. But as you practice and every single day you, um, you know, you start to do the minute and you add to that minute and you might do five minutes and then you're, you know, even if we're if during that meditation, if you start doing mantra meditation with ch- chanting your japa, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, even that in the beginning is like your mind wanders so much. And as you practice, you learn to focus more on the holy name. And then you start to relish it. It's not such a hard thing to do. So again, that's another example of happiness that at first was um, kind of like poison, but then turns into nectar. So the second type of happiness, Bhagavad Gita 18.38, that happiness which is derived from contact of the senses with their object and which appears like nectar at first but poison at the end is said to be of the nature of passion. So this is actually the majority of the types of happiness that we pursue. And one big example of this can, that can come to mind is uh, romantic relationships. 
sometimes, you know, when we're first involved with uh, someone in a romantic way, it's all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, and it's lovey-dovey. And then as we get to know each other and become more familiar with each other, we notice each other's flaws, and we start getting pet peeves, and we may be annoyed by some little things, how, you know, the differences that we may have, like... Somebody may squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom and somebody likes to squeeze it from the middle and sometimes that can annoy the other person and how they're doing it. So we can see how that at first was nectar and then it quickly turns to um, poison. But that can be for anything in the material um, sense of enjoyment. right? When we eat um, food, at first it tastes really good, but if we overindulge, then we can feel sick from that. So, again, we can see how it something that was good and we enjoyed can become a source of distress and we're not so we're not enjoying it anymore. The third type, 1839, Krishna says, and that happiness which is blind to self-realization, which is delusion from beginning to end and which arises from sleep laziness and illusion is said to be of the nature of ignorance. So an example of this is um, intoxication. You know, intoxication isn't meant for self-realization. It's it's this idea of let's dull the senses. It's causing delusions. We're not even seeking happiness. We're seeking negation of the pain, right? So and this level of, you know, quote-unquote happiness, there's not even joy to be felt. It's just trying to not feel pain, not feel despondent, not feel depressed. Um, another example is excessive sleep. Right? We might sleep a little bit more or um, be a little more lazy when we're trying to pursue this type of happiness, quote-unquote. Because we can see, we discussed earlier, that it's not just... Um, the diminishment of pain, but we're actually actively wanting to feel good, to feel happy. But on this um, happiness in the mode of ignorance, it's just about not feeling pain. So the most important, though, is transcendental happiness, that which transcends the modes of nature. In the Nectar of Devotion, Chapter 1, Srila Prabhupada states, happiness derived from pure devotional service is the highest because it is eternal. The happiness derived from material perfection is inferior because it is temporary. So we can understand that the pursuit of any type of material happiness is inferior and temporary. And that's not really what we want, right? That keeps us in this cycle of finding something that gives us temporary pleasure, it loses its luster, and we start pursuing the next big shiny thing to get another bit of happiness. So it kind of perpetuates that cycle. And this is considered inferior type of happiness. As a matter of fact, continuing this cycle of pursuing something, not feeling feeling happy for a small moment, and then pursuing something else, can actually lead one to into depression. Right? Because you're always like, well, I always have to pursue something. Happiness is always, you know, a day away. It's a step away. It's never right here, right now. Um. And in the Nectar of Devotion, um, Srila Prabhupada goes on to state, actually a pure devotee does not aspire after any of these perfections because happiness derived from devotional service and Krishna consciousness is so transcendental and so unlimited that no other happiness can compare to it. It is said that even one drop of happiness in Krishna consciousness stands beyond comparison with an ocean of happiness derived from any other activity. Thus, any person who has developed any little quantity of pure devotional service can very easily kick out all the other kinds of happiness derived from religiousness, economic development, sense gratification, and liberation. Remember, these are the four types of um, activities that we pursue to try to gain material happiness according to the purport. So, one of the reasons, or the main reason why we don't find happiness from these temporary material pursuits is because we're eternal. And we are conditioned, hardwired for eternal pleasure. So we have to understand that we are not this body. This body is temporary. We can see a time when it's born. 
we can see the changes that are made, and then we see, you know, the body dies, and that person supposedly is gone. But we know from reading the Bhagavad Gita and studying the Vedas that there's more to it. There's a soul that occupies the body. The soul is actually the force behind the body. And that soul is who we are, and we are eternal servants of Krishna. And as we mentioned before, Krishna is all pleasure, and we're parts and parcels of him. Plus, he's just sitting there enjoying, so when we're with him, we also enjoy by proxy. It's like when you're with someone who has some fame, right, and you're hanging out with them, the tabloids may take pictures of you as well, and you may get a little fame just by being in the presence of someone who's famous. So it's the same way, in the presence of someone who's full of eternal bliss, and who's always just full of pleasure, if we're hanging out with him, then we're also going to feel that level of pleasure. So that's the first step of understanding, and that's what was mentioned in today's purport, is coming to this level of self-realization, the Brahma-Bhutta stage, that we are not this body and we're spirit souls. In the purport of um, Bhagavad Gita, um, chapter 2, text 53, Srila Prabhupada states, the highest perfection of self-realization is to understand that one is eternally the servitor of Krishna and that one's only business is to discharge one duty, one's duties in Krishna consciousness. In 521 um, Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, A liberated person is not attracted to material sense pleasure, but is always in trance, enjoying the pleasure within. In this way, the self-realized person enjoys unlimited happiness, for they concentrate on the Supreme. So the next stage in attaining this um, permanent sense of pleasure and happiness, this eternal pleasure, is the stage of neutrality and equanimity. And this we understand to also be finding pleasure within, as stated in 521. We look a little further in the purport of Bhagavad Gita, text 13, uh, chapter 13, text 8 through 12, Srila Prabhupada states, Happiness and distress are concomitant factors of material life. One should learn to tolerate as advised in Bhagavad Gita. One can never restrict the coming and going of happiness and distress. So one should be detached from the materialistic way of life and be automatically equiposed in both cases. Generally, when we get something desirable, we are very happy. And when we get something undesirable, we are distressed. But if we're actually in the spiritual position, these things will not agitate us. So we propagate this cycle of happiness and sadness. We pursue something, we achieve it, we feel some temporary happiness, and then we start to feel empty again. So we pursue something else. Or we pursue something and we don't achieve it, and we feel you know, lamentation for something we didn't get. Like, man, why? if only I could have achieved this. If only I was successful in this. And here um, it's saying, that, you know, Prabhupada's saying is that we shouldn't be affected by all these of the whimsies of material nature. right? And there's so many different whimsies, right? We have three levels of material miseries. Material, um, the miseries that are caused by nature, right? It's cold outside, or a few days ago it was like snowing. Um, we get tornadoes. We get really hot weather in the summertime. It's really hot. So these kinds of things can bring a little misery from external nature. Then we have miseries that are brought on by other people, you know, how we interact with them, what they do to us, what they say to us. And then we have the miseries that are brought on from our own mind. And a lot of what we discussed last week about depression is the miseries that are brought on by our own mind. And we discussed how to flip that by changing into a positive mindset, by changing using positive psychology. But even beyond that is, is understanding that these things are not affecting us, who we really are, because we're spirit soul. So when we understand we're spirit soul and this is we're not this body, then we are more likely to not be as affected by all these different levels of miseries and happiness. And happiness because it's temporary. We know it's going to go away. So we don't base our own happiness based on what we're achieving, what's going on around us, 
We base it from within, from our relationship with Krishna, from realizing that. That's where we derive our internal happiness that keeps us steady no matter what. And this steadiness is what we're trying to achieve, this level of whatever's going on, I'm happy, I'm good. Inside, I'm I'm right with everything because I have this relationship with God that's carrying me through everything, that's protecting me through everything. So that's the level of, you know, that's the next level of realization that we want to come to. Um, just to kind of give a few more examples from the Bhagavad Gita about this equanimity. In one of the more famous verses is Bhagavad Gita 2.14. And it says, The non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress and their disappearance in due course are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. So that, again, is about how we don't, how we are not affected by everything that's going on around us. And this comes up often. It's in chapter 2, it's in chapter 3, it's in chapter 4. I mean, it's in pretty much all the chapters. There's some version of let's not be affected by things that are going on around us. In chapter um, 12, text 17 in the purport, Srila Prabhupada says, A pure devotee is neither happy nor distressed over material gain and loss, nor is he very much anxious to get a son or a disciple, nor is he distressed by not getting them. If he loses anything which is very dear to him, he does not lament. Similarly, if he does not get what he desires, he is not distressed. He is transcendental in the face of all kinds of auspiciousness, inauspicious and sinful activities. He is prepared to accept all kinds of risks for the satisfaction of the Supreme Lord. Nothing is an impediment in the discharge of his devotional service. Such a devotee is very dear to Krishna. So first we want to be we want to be self-realized. We want to understand that we're not this body, that we're spirit soul. And then we want to come to the point of equanimity, self-satisfaction. Um, so we go from self-realization to self-satisfaction and not being affected around with anything uh, that's going on with us and to be steady no matter what. And then the third is devotional service. And the third is actually, it's kind of intertwined. It's that final step, but it's also commingling with the first two steps. Because without devotional service, it's hard for us to understand that we're not this body. It's hard for us to achieve this level of steadiness and self-satisfaction from within and not be affected with that, with what's going on without So, in um, the purport, if we continue reading of 13, 8 through 12, the Bhagavad Gita, Srila Prabhupada continues to say, to reach that stage of devotional service, we have to practice unbreakable devotional service. Devotional service to Krishna without deviation means engaging oneself in the nine processes of devotional service. Chanting, hearing, worshipping, offering respect, etc., as described in the last verse of the ninth chapter. That process should be followed. And just as an aside, the ninth, the last verse of the ninth chapter is the one that says, um, you know, surrender unto me all that you, you do, all that you are. You know, do it as an offering to me. In 5.6 and 5.7, it says, Merely renouncing all activities, yet not engaging in devotional service of the Lord, cannot make one happy. But a thoughtful person engaged in devotional service can achieve the supreme without delay. One who works in devotion, who is a pure soul, and who controls one's mind and senses, is dear to everyone, and everyone is dear to them. Though always working, such a person is never entangled. So this final step is devotional service. And again, sprinkled all throughout the Bhagavad Gita are verses that we can um, see that um, highlight this, that devotional service is the way that we achieve happiness. And it's not just happiness, it's, it's um, complete 
happiness eternally, full of bliss and knowledge, and we're, we are in that position um, all the time. It's just like being bathed in happiness, right? It's kind of hard for us to fathom because we're so used to our happiness being entangled with a little bit of sadness. But, it, you know, this is none of that. It's just pure, uncut happiness. And devotional service is how we do it. So the processes of devotional service, there's nine, right? Hearing. Hearing is um, also called shravanam. And this we do when we chant japa. We're supposed to chant japa to where we can hear it. So we don't chant too loudly that it disturbs someone else, but it's loud enough that we can hear it. And it can kind of drown out all the noise within that we can have in our mind. Um, another way we uh, honor this devotional process of hearing is kirtan. So in kirtan, we're hearing the holy name being sung, and then we sing it back. So that brings us to our second um, process, which is chanting. And those two things are also our ways of chanting. We chant, and that's how we chant. And we uh, participate in kirtan, and that's how we chant. Remembering um, is the third way of uh process of devotional service, and that's Vishnu Svananam. And that we can do by reading Srila Prabhupada's books, reading the Bhagavad Gita, reading the Srimad Bhagavatam, because they're all about the glories of the Lord, of Krishna. So when we do that, we remember him. When we associate with devotees, we remember Krishna, because a lot of times we talk about Krishna. Um, Even if we associate with non-devotees, if we come to realize that Krishna is in everyone's heart, then we can remember Krishna even with associating with non-devotees. Previously, we discussed verses like Krishna is in everything. He's the taste in water. He's the um, intelligent in the intelligent, right? So if we realize these things, we're always remembering him. And that is one of the processes of devotional service. Serving the lotus, the Lord's lotus feet by the Sevanam. This is engaging in direct service to Krishna as well as the devotees. You know, engaging in service to the devotees is the same as engaging in service to pro, uh, to um, Krishna. So when um, you have Brahman initiation and you're Pujari, you have the added benefit of being able to intimately serve the lotus feet of uh, Lord Krishna, in our case, Radha Kalashanji. We can see how beautifully they're dressed. We can see that um, our godbrother Naratam Prabhu really dressed them with so much love and he really served their lotus feet. And that also brings um, to deity worship. Uh, so deity worship is, you know, included in dressing the deities. We have arti that we see. We offer prashadam. And then we honor prashadam. So honoring prashadam is both serving the lotus feet as well as deity worship. So it's very important that we honor prashadam every day, all the time. Even if you're not here at the temple, it's about offering what you make and having that as prasadam. So, you know, if you make it a point that everything I'm going to eat uh, is prasadam and then you make preps and you um, offer it, and it doesn't have to be fancy. I'm not a cook by any means. Actually, I hate being in the kitchen. Um, So a lot of times my offerings are very simple, like smoothies, um, salads because I don't cook or, you know, I'll throw something in the Instapot and then offer that. But it's what, you know, if I'm going to eat it, then it's better that it's prashadam and I offer it. And that way I start to think more about Krishna than I do about my own bodily needs. So it becomes about feeding Krishna and then I get to have the uh, remnants. So, in that way, I'm engaging in both Balasevanam and Archanam, serving the Lord's, Lord's feet and deity worship. Praying is pretty self-explanatory. It's another way of, it's another process. Um, and prayer is very important. You know, we can pray at any time. It's just a conversation, in a way, with, with God, with, you know. And if we pray with our hearts, with an open heart, we'll find that Krishna always responds. We may not like the response. We may not believe the response. But the response is always there. I know for me personally, sometimes when I have some kind of thing that I'm struggling with and I pray, usually even during japa, I'll be meditating on this problem that I have. 
or, you know, just all day long. I'm like, what, I, what can I do? I remember one time, I think I might share this story before, like last year when I was really down with work and um, I was really struggling because my, my bosses were really after me for every little thing and I didn't know what to do and I just like poured my heart out while I was dressing Chota Radha Kalachanji and I was like, I don't, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Just tell me what to do. And in that moment, I heard clear as day, like as if we're having a conversation, people are going to think I'm crazy. As if we're having a conversation, you know, his voice said, stick with this job. And I was like, no, that's just in my head, right? But there were three other occasions where this message came to me in different ways. And, you know, one of them, I was listening to a lecture by my Guru Maharaj, and this I find all the time if I'm struggling with some um, dilemma and I listen to a lecture by my Guru Maharaj, somehow or another he addresses that head on. Like, in this lecture he says, sometimes we may be unhappy with our jobs and we think we should quit, but we have to find this, you know, why are we doing this? And he talked about staying with the job even if you don't like it. And I thought, wait, how did he know that that's what I needed to hear? And somehow or another, on that very day that I set this prayer, I got this, you know, response. And then I got it from another place and another. So sometimes, you know, if you're like me, you need several confirmations before you actually start to believe, like, okay, this is what I need to do. And sometimes that instruction changes. You know, six months later, same thing. I started undergoing this kind of distress again. And and this time, the answer was very different. Quit. Pursue something else. And you think, wow, six months, what happened? Well, you know, I, I can go into it, but it's very personal. And, you know, it's it's tedious. But there were things that changed. And what I needed to learn in those six months, I learned. And when I was done, like Krishna was like, okay, you're done with this. Let's move on to the next phase. So just by prayer, we can see how powerful that is for the process of devotional service. Um, following instructions. This is really important. This is um, another important process of devotional service. And this is instructions of Krishna, right? If we follow the instructions of the Bhagavad Gita, we follow the instructions of our guru. Right? One of the offenses we want to avoid um, while chanting the holy name is to disregard the instructions of our spiritual master. So it's very important that we uphold our, the instructions of our spiritual master. And the main instructions that he gives is to follow the four regulative principles. Right? No meat, fish, or eggs. No intoxication. No gambling and no illicit sex. Those are the four main rules. And then the thing that we agree to do is chant um, a prescribed number of rounds, 16 rounds of chanting the holy names. So those are the instructions. And then we may get some, if we're lucky, we may get some additional special instructions from our guru on how to serve um, Krishna and how to serve Prabhupada, how to serve Lord Chaitanya's mission. We can serve as a friend, um, and that's the eighth process. And then the ninth process of devotional service is complete surrender. And, you know, we do all these other things so we can achieve that ninth process, complete surrender. That point where we say, okay, I'm yours, just like Prabhupada made that prayer. I'm just like a puppet, Krishna, so if you want, you can make me dance. Just make me dance. So that's the prayer. That's the level of engagement we want to have with Krishna. Just, I'm yours. Do with me what you will and use me in any way you feel necessary to serve you, right? To serve Prabhupada's mission, to serve Lord Chaitanya's mission. In the purport of 1863, Prabhupada says, Surrender to the Supreme Personality of Godhead is in the best interest of the living entities. It is not for the interest of the Supreme. Before surrendering, one is... Hold on. One is free to deliberate on this subject as far as the intelligence goes. That is the best way to accept the instruction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Such instruction comes also through the spiritual master, the bona fide representative of Krishna. So here, Prabhupada is saying that we don't surrender for Krishna. It doesn't. It's not 
like for Krishna's sake that we're surrendering. It's for our own sake. It's for our own pleasure that if we surrender to Krishna and surrender our pleasure to him, we'll gain infinitely. But we have to come to this decision on our own. We can't be forced into it. Um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, right? So when I was raised, um, my dad was very devout, uh, Vaishnav. And so I was raised in that tradition. We've always come to the Hare Krishna temple. But at some point, I had to make that decision for myself that I want to pursue this, not just because my parents are dragging me to the temple. And there's nothing really that they could have done or said um, that would, in one way or another, influence it, right? I mean, the biggest influence for me is seeing my dad practice these things and seeing what it, the level of, of peace that it brought for him. So seeing the example is the biggest um, reflection for me as far as this is why I want to pursue it. This is why I made the choice. That and, you know, it's like there was a time when I had chosen not to come anymore to the temple. We lived in Fort Worth and coming to the temple was like an hour-long drive. And it was Sunday night and I'm such a procrastinator so all my homework was still left. And, you know, we'd get home at like 9 p.m. on a Sunday and I'd have to start my homework. Of course, you know, Friday comes and I think, oh, I'm going to get my homework done early. And then it never happens because I'm a procrastinator. So I started to say, oh, well, we can't go to the temple. I still have homework. I still have this to do. I still have that to do. And so, you know, slowly we started stopped coming to the temple every Sunday. We started coming only for the festivals. But there was a moment where... I remember, like, I kind of had the whole homework thing figured out where I had it done, and I rarely ever did homework at home. And I remember, you know, I kind of missed the temple. And I remember coming here one weekend on my own because I had first gotten my driver's license. So I drove here on my own. And the moment I walked in and you hear the kirtan going on, you hear the cartels, you hear the mudanga, It's like your heart starts beating again. It was like something had been missing from my life for these last few years. And that was the moment I made the decision that this was for me, you know. In that time that we weren't coming to the temple, I looked at Christianity. I attended um, Mass. I attended certain um, Bible studies with my friends. And it just didn't have that same level of um, engagement when I watch in the temple room and I hear the Murdanga playing and I hear the cartels and I hear the holy name being chanted. So to me, it made perfect sense to pursue this. And when one, when per, someone's ready like that, then Krishna easily, I mean, Krishna offers that devotional service. It's said that, um, continuing on to read from the purport of 1863, Krishna can easily offer a person material happiness or liberation. He does not agree very easily to award a person engagement in his devotional service. Devotional service can, in fact, be attained only through the mercy of a pure devotee. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it said, By the mercy of the spiritual master, who is a pure devotee, and by the mercy of Krishna, one can achieve the platform of devotional service. There's no other way. So here it says, you know, material happiness is um, um, nothing. Even liberation is is nothing. Krishna can just give you that, right? You go to a a millionaire or billionaire and you ask him for $10. He's going to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Here, take $10. What's that? That's nothing. You know, just take it. Um, Get out of my hair. So Krishna's the same way. He's like... Here, you want these riches, you want all that, take it. Just get out of my hair, right? But when he, when we say, okay, we want you, we want love of you, he's like, oh, you do. You know, he starts to take a little bit more interest in us. Like, oh, so you do. Let's see if you really do. And if we're sincere, then um, we get the association of devotees. We get the association of a pure devotee, of a spiritual master. So this is the key. This is the key to unlock our devotional service is the guru, is our spiritual master. Even in these verses that we're reading in the Srimad Bhagavatam, we can see that 
Vyasadeva is, is despondent and confused and he's dissatisfied. You know, he's talked about pursuing all this material level of success, but it isn't until his spiritual master comes and gives him instruction that he starts to feel satisfied, that he starts to feel this level of bliss. So we can understand that even for someone who is as exalted as Vyasadeva, he needed a spiritual master um, to guide him towards Krishna, to connect him to Krishna. And therefore, we can understand that we need to have a bona fide spiritual master to learn from. Even Arjuna has turned to Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. And we talked about last week that in the beginning, Arjuna was very despondent and depressed and despair over this situation of, you know, he's about to engage in battle. So he turns to his, his good friend and cousin, Krishna, and he takes instructions from him. He um, considers Krishna to be his guru. And he says, okay, I surrender to you. Teach me. So this is important as well. Not just that, you know, we want a spiritual master who's qualified because we do, but we ourselves have to be qualified. And our biggest qualification is surrendering, is being teachable, is being coachable. Because if we feel that we know everything, what can you teach someone who knows everything? Nothing. But if we realize that we know some things, right? So there, there's like different levels of knowledge. There's We know what we know, and we know what we don't know. But we don't know what we don't know. And that's where we really want to tap into. That's where our spiritual master helps engage us in coming into contact of, of learning what we don't know, um, that we don't even know it, right? Um, so that's the two most important things. We have to surrender, and then a spiritual master will come and help give us this um, devotional service, this gift that's so rare, that's so precious. It's the most precious gift um, that we have to really protect it as well. Right? Once we receive it, because it's rare, Krishna says that, I think in the Bhagavad Gita, I can't remember what, but which chapter, but he says that, you know, one who comes to this knowledge of devotional service is very rare. And one who then follows the path is even more rare. And one who achieves complete surrender is the rarest of them all, right? And so that's where we're at. We're at this path that we've even come into contact with devotees. We're very um, lucky, right? I mean, we're just blessed that we get to be in contact with the devotees. We get to see the deities. And that is all through, you know, the, the mercy of Srila Prabhupada, our guru. And we may have a guru that's, um, in that same, you know, in this parampara, in this disciplic succession. So in, in my case, my guru is Tamal Krishna Goswami. And Tamal Krishna Goswami's guru is Srila Prabhupada. So through Tamal Krishna Goswami, Srila Prabhupada is my guru, right? So for all of us in ISKCON, in, in this faith, we are all disciples of Srila Prabhupada. And, you know, we all are really just in, in, enjoying the fruits of his labor, which is bringing this rare knowledge of devotional service to the U.S. So in order to honor that, we ha- we want to honor all of these steps of devotional service so that we can achieve complete surrender. Because nothing pleases the guru more than the surrender of the the devotee. And it's not surrender to the guru that he's looking for. The guru isn't thinking, oh, I want these disciples to surrender to me. He's thinking, I want them surrendered to Krishna. So when they surrender to Krishna, he feels, you know, happy. Like, oh, he feels bliss. We know as disciples that in order to surrender to Krishna, we have to surrender to our guru. So in order, you know, we, in order to surrender, we have to surrender to our guru. We have to listen to his instructions. Um, and we have to engage in that willingly. We can't be forced into it. You know, it doesn't solve anything if we um, artificially renounce or we artificially are on this path of devotional service. We want to be 
um, authentic. We want to be true and honest about where we are. And when we associate with devotees that are supportive and loving and, and encouraging, like we talked about last week, then it's easier to be honest and to be vulnerable. And when we're honest and vulnerable, especially with our spiritual master, then he can really guide us from where we're at to help us go where we want to go. If we're not honest, it's hard for him to... He may know where where we are because he sees it in our heart, but it's still hard for him to engage with us because he's got to get us to the level that we think we are, right? With with us thinking, oh, we already know that much. When we already talked about it, if we think we know it, we're not going to learn it. We're not going to take time learning it. So if we come to this point of this is where I'm at, but you might want to have a conversation, an honest conversation with someone who knows you really well like that to say, well, you know, you may not actually be at that level. You might be here. or You might be actually more than you think you are, right? So it's good to get a little feedback so that we can progress in a in a um, in a uh, manner that is going to be more conducive to um, progressing further. So the key here is, you know, just to recap that we have these three levels of um, pursuing happiness or getting rid of the despondency, and that's self-realization, self-satisfaction, and devotional service. And devotional service is only gained through the mercy of the spiritual master and through the mercy of Krishna. So our prayer then is that we want to always pray to have this mercy so that we can continue in our pursuits of um, devotional service. What questions do you have for me? Naritam? My pleasure. So the question here is that um, as eternal spirit souls, we have the qualities of Satchitananda Vigraha, which means eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. And um, he was saying that this idea that we're not this body brings us to this the eternality of it. But what brings us to the, the blissful part of it? And the answer here is devotional service. Right? So we pepper devotional service throughout our day to achieve um, this idea of eternal bliss throughout our day. 
We can start with, you know, chanting japa in the morning, chanting our chanting the maha mantra on um, beads in the morning. We can read the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavad Gita in the morning. That gives us an idea of, you know, remembering what we're going to... It kind of sets the tone for our mind for the day. Um, throughout the day, we can remember Krishna. Right? We talked about when you drink water, just think, I'm the taste of water. When you eat, if you're eating prasadam, you're remembering Krishna. Um, so these kinds of acts throughout the day is is uh, a way to engage in that blissful nature that we have, to tap into the bliss that is Krishna, is to think of him throughout the day. And then we talked about, you know, the three steps. Self-realization is what you're talking about with the, the knowledge that we're, you know, we are um, eternal. And then self-satisfaction is that next step. I mean, understanding that everything that's happening around us isn't really happening to us. And finding steadiness in that. Not really being caught up in the whimsies of material nature, of, of happiness and distress, and achieving that, and losing this, and not gaining this. right? Not depending our happiness on that, but depending it on within. And that comes from devotional service. And we talked about the nine steps of devotional service to start to achieve that. So we want to figure out a way to pepper it throughout our day, right? If you're, if you have, if you go to work, then if you start your day with a few rounds, you may not be able to do all 16 before you go to work. If you can, great, do all 16. Really does give you that level of protection. But if you can't, then, you know, choose a number, four, eight, um, two, whatever it is, you know, you can do two or four in the morning, four at lunch, four when you get home, and then four before you go to bed. And that kind of, you know, bookends your day with japa in the morning and japa at night and throughout the day. And then if you read, you know, like 15 minutes of Bhagavatam, you know, let's say during your lunch hour or, you know, right before going to bed or right as you wake up or sometime during the day, that helps you to remember and you think about Krishna. Um, and we don't think of this as service, but here it says it's the nine processes of devotional service. Chanting, hearing, um, remembering. You know, So these are important steps that we want to do, and they don't have to be major steps. It's just it's little changes, right? Like say if you're in a plane and you shift your course by one, just one degree, if you shift the course, you can end up you know, hundreds of miles off course just if you shift by one degree in the beginning. So we can see that just small little shifts can make vast differences in the long run. Um, so those are some of the things that I would recommend. You know, some of the things that I try to do. Um, it's not that I'm saying, you know, do this and then, and then I don't do any of it. I, I try to engage with chanting rounds in the morning, you know, um, dressing the deities in the morning is a great way for me to to think about Krishna first thing in the morning. Um, reading Srimad Bhagavatam, you know, I actually read most of the days I read before I even get here to dress in the mornings. So I've gotten my Srimad Bhagavatam read. I read from the Bhagavad Gita every day, um, two verses. I think I've mentioned that before. And then, you know, when I was working, I would try to get all my rounds done in the morning, but at least four. And then, you know, um, find different times throughout the day to get some rounds done. So doing that just kind of keeps you engaged in remembering Krishna and thinking of Krishna. Listening to a lecture, right? When I'm driving, I can put on a lecture. When I'm getting ready, I can listen to a lecture by my Guru Maharaj. So again, that keeps me remembering and and, um, thinking about him. So... No, devotional service isn't this set thing where you have to do it at the temple and you have to, you know, um, be in a certain place at a certain time. It can be done anywhere at any time. It's also nice that it's done at the temple and the association of other devotees also serving. You kind of get that collective um, energy of, of serving. But it can be done anytime, anywhere, you know. So I hope that answers your question.
Okay. Um, any other questions? All right. Well, thank you so much. Dharantra Srimad Bhagavatam Ki. Hare Krishna. Jai. Thank <laughs> you.